0: and Welcome to another episode of Couch Co-op. I'm your host, Andy Yeager. On this week's podcast, we had a chance to sit down with Rayon Ali, author of NBA Jam, the book. No game review this week, but I think you'll enjoy listening to Rayon give some insight and uh, some interesting tidbits on what went into writing this book. Uh, So without further ado, our interview with Rayon. Okay. So we're here with Ryan Ali, uh, author of NBA Jam, the book. Uh, Ryan, say hi.
1: Hey, thank you guys so much for having me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, the idea here is to just let Ryan tell us a little bit about what's going on with this book. Maybe ask him some uh, strange questions along the way.
1: Ooh, I hope the stranger the better.
0: How stra- oh,
1: I got some pretty strange
0: ones. Dylan's got, Ooh, okay. Dylan's got Ooh, one all question. Right, I'm ready
1: for it. Okay, <laughs> I did tell Andy that I wanted some curveballs, so I might regret my words later.
0: Okay, so uh, first question I have is, uh, well, I guess just tell us a little bit about the book. What What do you want our listeners uh, – what should our listeners expect from this, this uh, Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, so just a little bit of background on me. Uh, I'm a writer from Columbus, Ohio, and I've been working on an NBA Jam book for, gosh, almost four years now. I'm very close to being done, so it's going to be out sometime soon. Uh, Soon has taken longer than I hoped, but as life comes up, uh, things have changed around with the schedule too. But the proof is going to pay off, or rather the book is going to pay off uh, within the proof of the book itself. So, um, the book is all about the development of NBA Jam and the classic days of Midway. You know, I take you back to Chicago, back to 3401 North California Avenue, uh, which was where NBA Jam was developed, where Mortal Kombat was developed, where Defender was developed, and all these classic games and where that whole Midway culture really came to life. And then I focus in on NBA Jam and how it became this huge phenomenon. I mean, I think in the first year that it came out, uh, just the arcade version made a billion dollars in quarters. That's a billion, which is a lot of quarters. So, it's just a, a staggering number to think about. And um, so, NBA Jam, of course, was huge, um, but then its time has passed in a way as well. So, I look at the rise of NBA Jam, the creation, the development, who Mark Trammell was as creator, and then uh, from there I get into um, you know what was what was life like at Midway at the peak. Um, I look at the success of NBA Jam, everything that happened over there, and then uh, the change to the home consoles, then eventually the fall of Midway, and along the way I also talk about Acclaim and its relationship with NBA Jam, which is really interesting, and has never really been explored uh, before. I mean, people know that there's a Midway Acclaim thing over there, but nobody's ever talked about it in detail. I did, I think, 68 interviews for this book, um, which is pretty nuts. I've never done that many interviews for project before. I've been writing for about 10 years. And I interviewed the entire development team. I spoke to Tim Kithrow, the commentator, you know, Mr. Boom Chakalaka. He's on fire. Oh, nice. Yeah. I spoke to Shaq, spoke to g Jazzy Jeff um, and George Clinton. Those two were uh, secret characters. Shaq, of course, was a huge fan of the game. Spoke to Glenn Rice, uh, who was another one of the players in the game. Um, spoke to uh, Eugene Jarvis from Midway, George Petro from Midway, you know, some of the developers of these classic games, um, as well as John Romero from id Software because he was a big fan of Mark Fumel, the games creator, and he had a, a pretty cool little NBA Jam story itself or a little bit of perspective on NBA Jam that you wouldn't get from everybody else. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch more people I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Um, well, actually, you know what? Both of the cheerleaders in the game, I talked to them, <laughs> talked to Bias. Uh, the Mortal Kombat co-creator, because he actually figures into the early part of the story, too. So it really is, yeah, just to look at the rise and fall of NBA Jam and Midway itself and the arcade culture that is you know, still around in some ways with the barcade scene, but it's definitely a different world. So um, this is kind of a deep dive into NBA Jam, its impact on the world, and like what it was like to be there in the arcade at his heyday.
0: Okay. Is that good enough for you, Dylan? Damn. <laughs> you know your shit. Yeah, So, so how... <laughs> Like, how were how did you have access to uh, get these inter- interviews? Did you just reach out and say, "Hey, I'm writing a book," or you yeah, know, how'd that happen?
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, just for some context, yeah, so I've been writing for a while, so um, I've interviewed all kinds of different people. I did mostly music writing, so if you pick up, like, a free paper, um, you'll, you know, you'll see something about a preview of a concert that's coming up. So I did lots of interviews for a long time. Um, So I kind of got in the habit of talking to people from different walks of life, lots of entertainers, celebrities, you know, pop culture people. I did a lot of WWE wrestlers, too. Um, So I knew that, you know, with a lot of the stuff, it's a matter of trying to find the right person. And, uh, you know, just saying, hey, this is what the project I, it, that is that I'm working on. And with NBA Jam, I was very lucky because everybody loves the game so much. I mean, you know, with certain things, you want to go back and talk about it, but there might be a negative aspect or they might say, eh, I don't really want to. But with NBA Jam, it was very different. Almost everybody across the board was immediately very receptive. Um, I tracked them down one by one. I started off by going to uh, John Robinson, who is uh, a writer at GamePro Magazine. He was Johnny Ballgame. So he was one of the editors over there. He did the hot of the arcade section, and he did a lot of sports stuff. So he was like the perfect person to start off with uh, for some perspective. So he gave me one lead. I went from there to another. And then, of course, I knew that I wanted to contact everybody I could find within the credits of the game. Um, So it was a lot of tracking down people on all kinds of – any way I could find them. Use Facebook for some of them. Um, You know, finding websites here and there. Um, Let's see. Like in the case of Shaq, I went over to, you know, I, try, I had to use more official channels. Um, so it's a lot of like, a lot of emailing, a lot of asking around, and of course there are, there were some interviews I didn't get, um, like Macaulay Culkin. There's a little story about him in the book. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't able to give me an interview, but it was still cool to hear back from him. Um, several other people along the way. So it was really just like a lot of asking around and then getting to know people, and the plus side of working on this for so long is that i know these people pretty well i feel and i know like their personalities and i can get a better idea of this world versus just saying here's the facts and that's it i can get some more perspective on them so it was really going you know one to the other to the other to the other to the other so um you know it's possible doing stuff like this it's, of course you have to have the right project and have the right mindset for it um, and be able to dedicate the time and be able to do all kinds of stuff i mean i talked to mark Tramel the main creator of the game. I would always talk to him really late. So I'm in Ohio, so I'm on Eastern and he's on Pacific and he would always want to talk when he would have to, he would come home from work. So I'd like, I'd fall asleep and then I'd wake up at like one in the morning. uh, So I could talk to him at about 10 o'clock at at night, his time when he was available. So um, yeah, just a lot of asking around, trying to figure out what was going on in terms of uh, where they were in their own careers as well. Um, but it's still, it's possible. I'm very lucky, though. It's been it's been really successful in that way. That I have had to actually think of people that I kind of wanted, but I had to say no to because you know I can't use more than you know. If you go past 16 interviews, you know, if I have like 100 interviews, I can't use the material. So um, and, you know, I'm very lucky in that way. I've got so much good stuff. I've got a lot of stuff I can pick and choose. And there's great sections that aren't even be able to make it in the book just because of uh, logistics.
0: There you go. Wow, that's impressive. Especially yeah. since you were able to talk and chat with all these people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the Shaq poll, that's, that's pretty cool. That's uh, huge. Glenn Rice, I know he was a big ball player back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask a little bit. So, I'm assuming you would pretty much be an expert on the game by now, correct?
1: Yes, yes, I have. I am up to my ears in NBA Jam. Now, the finer points of it, there's some things that I'm definitely fuzzy on, like in terms of the rosters of the original game versus TE. Um, but most everything I know about when it comes to NBA Jam, I've just learned through osmosis and talking uh, to so many people about it. But yeah, what you got?
0: Well, okay, so I was looking through my games. Uh, I, I collect a lot, and mm-hmm. I kind of forget what I have and what I don't have. I realized I have the original NBA Jam. I also have Tournament Edition. What, what is is that? Just a more refined edition of the original game, or what? Like, is there more in it? Mm-hmm. What, what, do you, what yeah. is the deal there?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, there's definitely yeah, there's more in it. So NBA Jam came out. I think it was like February '93. It was February or March '93, right around that time in the arcades. And then the uh, the Tournament Edition came out. I think later that year. Um, I think, actually, I'm not sure if it was later that year or sometime in 1994. Um but Tournament Edition is an update, more features, improved gameplay, um, you know, they've got three players per team, I think maybe even four in some versions, um, definitely more players overall, updated rosters, they had some tweaks to the actual coding of the game in terms of um, the actual gameplay itself, especially I think when it came to making it more subtle. You know, NBA Jam is so much about the back and forth. You know, you score a bit, and they score a bit, and you score a bit, and the computer can definitely play around with it a lot. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different features between the games, but the main things, the obvious things on its face are, you know, um, new sounds, uh, new as in new sound clips, new rosters, I think there's, yeah, get those gameplay refinements are there. Um, I'm sure there's some other uh, things that I'm forgetting offhand. Um, but yeah, Toronto Edition is definitely an update, and the original is fantastic, but if you're going to pick one of the two out of them just from a gameplay perspective, Tournament Edition is always the one to go with.
0: Okay. Okay, that clears that up. Uh, yeah. Now let's talk secret characters. Yes. Uh, because I know I've looked into it a little bit. I've never tried doing anything. Um, but I, I was told, obviously you talked about it at top. George Clinton is in the game. <laughs> yes. Uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff is in it. Is Fresh Prince in there?
1: He is, he is. He's in Tournament Edition also with uh, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff. And when I talked to DJ Jazzy Jeff, I had to ask him, even though the interview's with Jeff, I had to ask him about Will Smith. I was like, did Will Smith play NBA Jam? And he says uh, he maybe played it once or twice, but he didn't really have the patience for it. Like, Will Smith is not a video game guy. Uh, or at least he wasn't back then. But he he's almost certain that he did play NBA Jam. Um, but yeah, so anyways, yeah, go on. Uh,
0: so, well... I know the game was created by Midway. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, what are some, without giving it all away, I I don't know if this is in the book or not, but, um, like, what kind of influence did they have? I know they're famous for Mortal Kombat, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, was there any crossover there with, uh, you know, I've heard that maybe Sub-Zero and Scorpion are in the game. Uh, Like, were the developer, were were the... developers the same on those games were they you know was the team different do you, do you know
1: yeah are you, do you mean the developers the same in NBA Jam and Mortal Kombat
0: yeah I mean I know it was developed by Midway but yeah. was it the same development team like Ed Boone and John Tobias or did they have anything to do with it at all
1: yeah, so it wasn't the same development team, but they worked very closely with each other. I mean, they worked down the hall from one another. Uh, they were making games side by side. So, you know, there's like a version of Mortal Kombat 2. Like, basically, you go inside, look inside the code of Mortal Kombat 2, and you can find a picture of Mark Tremell, the game's creator, of NBA Jam's creator, um, as one of, like, the, the dead bodies somewhere on a stage that they never ended up using. So these guys were very close to each other. I mean, you know, Ed Boon, John Tobias, all those guys are secret characters in NB Jam. Different development teams, but there is an overlap of one person, uh, Tony Goski, who did all the heads for NB Jam. So every head you see in the game, the, at least the original arcade version, all that is hand-drawn. So it took him two months to do it, and he made all those heads by hand. And Tony Goski ended up uh, doing backgrounds for Mortal Kombat 2, and he's still part of the Mortal Kombat team to this day. I know he's working at NetherRealm Studios in Chicago. So um, yeah, just to give you some uh, uh, an idea of what happened with the secret characters and where all that came from. So it actually did start with Tony Goski. You know, Tony Goski made these beautiful heads, and it looked, it looked so good in the game um, that you know the guys were thinking about, okay, what else can we do with this? So they ended up taking that feature because it's really simple. Basically, what what the head was is you can uh, can patch a head onto a body. So it would just swap out the head as needed. You pick a team, it'll then refer to that head, and it'll put that head on the body. So towards the very end of development, the team was like, okay, let's put our own heads in the game just as a joke. So they put their heads in the game as a joke. And then that joke ends up taking off, and people start playing in jam to find these secret characters, even though they're just guys at Midway. And then, you know, this takes on a whole life of its own. And then in Tournament Edition, they throw in Mortal combat characters like Reptile, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Raiden. Um, they've also got some other oddball characters here and there. But in total, I think it was something like 40 characters or 30 or 40 characters for the NBA Jam Tournament Edition, the arcade version. And then acclaim actually really took the concept to the crazy place that it is now. You know, where people are like, oh, Bill Clinton NBA Jam, Hillary Clinton NBA Jam, Fresh Prince. That's all acclaim. So what acclaim did was they got the rights to the home version. And as they were developing the home version, they thought, you know, these secret characters are so popular. So they asked Midway, can we put our own characters in there? And Midway said, sure, have at it. And then they started playing around with the format and throwing in, you know, Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham and all these different people that are more that are not even related to Acclaim or Midway or anything like that. These are just celebrities, and um, yeah, so that's that's when it took on a life of its own. That's why you've got these absurd scenarios of, you know, George Clinton, P Funk playing the game, or DJ Jazzy Jeff, or Fresh Prince, or Prince Charles. I mean, those mascots, all kinds of people. Midway started the idea, but then Acclaim ended up taking it just to the level that it is now.
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh, Here's my main question. Yeah. Why in the hell is Michael Jordan not in this game?
1: Ooh. That is because...
0: I know you told me you're going to answer this on the podcast, so let's hear it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Michael Jordan is not in the game because Michael Jordan uh, had a different licensing contract than the rest of the NBA players. Now, of course... Michael Jordan is always, you know, he's always going to be a figure that's out there. But even in the early 90s, you know, before he'd done those double three-peats, when the Bulls were at, probably on their first three-peat, uh, he, his licensing contract was totally separate. So if Midway wanted him for the game, they would have to pay extra. And it was to the point where Midway's not going to pay Michael Jordan to have to have Michael Jordan and NBA Jam just to have him. So they ended up substituting him with, you know, another member of the Bulls. I think it was Horace Grant, um... Yeah. For that, I think it was Horse Ground, and the first one was Scottie Pippen instead of Jordan. Um, but Jordan was a huge fan of the game. And Jordan liked the game so much that he had his people contact Midway and then uh, make a custom version of the game with Michael Jordan in it. Now, keep in mind, there was, were all kinds of rumors about Michael Jordan at this time being in the game. There were like, you know, I saw this one great thing from this Usenet uh, forum posting way back, where someone's like, oh, I went to the Mall of America, I found Michael Jordan, he's in the game. And then somebody else had to be like, like that is totally fake, that is not true. But there were these rumors flying around. Um, But it turns out that, yeah, Michael Jordan loved the game so much that he had uh, his pictures taken, or rather, he wanted Midway to make this cabinet. So I'm not sure, actually, if he had his own pictures taken or Midway used photographs from other sources because they could do it pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But they ended up making a custom version for Michael Jordan. It had Michael Jordan in it, uh, and then they ended up doing another version with, yeah, Michael Jordan, uh, Gary Payton. This is before he was in Tournament Edition. Michael Jordan, Gary Payton, and Ken Griffey Jr., these guys were <laughs> such big fans that they were that they were in there. And as far as Ken Griffey Jr. goes, I actually posted on Twitter today uh, photographs from his headshots. He actually had those headshots taken and sent to Midway. The first time he did it, Midway was like, these aren't very good. We need better ones. Like, they explained the process to him. And then he did headshots a second time. And those I posted on Twitter today somewhere. Um, so this is all tied together into Michael Jordan not being in a Bay Jam is that he liked it. You know, he couldn't... He wouldn't want to be in the game for financial reasons, or rather he wouldn't want more to be in the game. But he liked it so much that he, they made a custom version for him anyway. So in some ways, Michael Jordan is in an NBA Jam. In some ways, he's not an NBA Jam.
0: So you're saying there's a cabinet out there somewhere that has Michael Jordan in NBA Jam?
1: Exactly. In fact, I know where it is right now. I, have, I, have not, I can't access it, but it is in California, in Gary Payton's home. He still has his mint condition NBA Jam cabinet up and running. And at least if it's not up and running, it's still in mint condition. And Michael Jordan is in that version, and I think he's got two different cabinets. Um, but yeah, it's out there. It's out oh, there somewhere. It's-, it's out there, and in Mark Tramel's garage somewhere, you know, this one board amongst a pile of these uh, arcade boards, these EPROM boards. So um, Michael Jordan's out there somewhere. I mean, nobody's given any kind of access to him. That we don't even have a screenshot yet. But I've got it on very good authority that he's actually out there, and there's certain things about NBA Jam I'd be like, "Yeah, that's dicey." I'm not sure I believe that. In this case, I very much believe that he was in the game.
0: Well, I I think if when this book becomes a massive hit, you should at least get to play the fucking thing, right?
1: <laughs> God, that would be sweet. That would be great if I could get to do that. I actually reached out to Gary Payton's people, and I was like, "Hey, like, look, I'm working on this project. I mean, it's one of those things where like, will he indulge me? Will he not? I don't know. Let me try." Um, And they were like, they were interested and they would, uh, they're like, yeah, you know, let me ask Gary Payton, or let me ask Gary and find out. And then I never heard anything after that. And I kept pressing, but still nothing yet. So maybe something will change someday. If nothing else, Mark Trammell, if I could just get him, if I could convince him to go into his garage or storage space or wherever this is, and just go through all these boards and then find the right one and send it on over to some collector somewhere or somebody that can plug it in, we could get NBA Jam, the Michael Jordan edition, but... (laughs) hasn't happened yet, but I'm crossing my fingers so it'll happen someday. I feel like it's going to happen in our lifetime. It's going to take work, but I feel like it's going to happen. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy that stuff like this exists. And that's one of those things that I think is so magical about NBA Jam is the fact that, like, you know, this game came out ages ago. The technology is totally different now. In fact, I, I heard someone, I think, was talking to Termel, like, the game is, like, less than one meg. Like, in terms of development, like, their space at the time was, like, a meg or two megs, maybe something like that. Um,. Actually, was it one? Was it even one meg? I don't know how much it. Was. I don't remember how much it was offhand, but it wasn't very much at all. But I mean, we're still talking about it. We're still fascinated by it all these years later. And I'm like, that's the power of NBA Jam. I still want to see this Michael Jordan cabinet, even though like you know Michael Jordan's been in a ton of games since. It's not NBA Jam. I want to see it. Yeah, so it's, it's in a different,
0: yeah, it's in a different class.
1: Yeah. God, Absolutely, you? and you know that's what gives the game its aura. So I mean, I'm crossing my fingers. I think it'll happen in this lifetime as long as somebody. You know, as long as it's like, a lucky break. Like, if Gary Payton's people just get back to me or Mark, Mark Jamel finds his board, we'll do it. But I'm hoping. I think it's going to happen this lifetime. I'm trying to do one of those things where you're speaking into reality right now.
0: Oh, hell yeah. Are you trying to hold off maybe, uh, maybe adding that into the book if you do get to go and play this?
1: Yeah, that would be incredible <laughs> if I did. So at this okay. point, yeah, the book is, is so close to, you know, I'm, like – pretty much on my last rewrite of it right now. So I finished it last August. And right now I'm working on my editor's notes and the things that I had to change uh, and giving it one last pass. And after this, I kind of want to be done for good, unless it's something urgent. Of course, I'll see for grammatical things, but nothing big. Um, so I don't think it would make it in this book, but it would make an amazing postscript later on uh, if I could go and play this or at least see video of this or see like even a photograph of it in action. Um, I definitely mentioned Michael Jordan's uh, cabinet in the book. And this a little bit of this this mystery behind it, I think I allude to. I don't think it's going to be in the book, but man, I would absolutely love to see it someday, if nothing else, from like the NBA Jam fan in me, you know that curiosity, um, much less the book itself.
0: Okay. that would be awesome. Um, yeah, okay. I got another question here, I I, I I'm not uh, I don't want this to come off as like rude at all. Yeah, but, um, as I know, you put hours and hours into this book. But have you thought about uh, maybe what a, a future project would be, or some other project you'd you, you'd like to work on? Like um, after NBA Jam, the book comes out, you make you know ten million dollars, however much. What
1: are you? What's, oh like, damn! Oh damn! That is way beyond my projections. Damn! If I crack six six figures, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be sitting pretty. Well, so you I, gotta I, aim yeah. high. You gotta aim high yeah. here. Yeah. Well, are, okay. are there any well, other yeah, games? when I'm when I'm sipping my champagne and I'm driving my Lambo, uh, I'm gonna be. What was the, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> what, what,
0: what are there any other games out there you'd like to maybe take a stab at making a book about it? You know, I know yeah. NBA Jam is iconic. Uh,
1: no, of course, absolutely. No, no, no. That's a, that's a great question. No, um, man, I've definitely given it some thought. You know, I went through those period where you know you you or working on a project, and then halfway through the project, or three-quarters through it, you're like, what can I do next? And then I started getting jazzed about thinking about ideas. Then I was like, wait a second, I need to finish this book first. Um, But now that the book is so close to being complete, yeah, I definitely got some ideas for some future video games. Um, I mean, the first one, a major one that comes to mind off the bat, of course, is Mortal Kombat. Um, I Actually, when I was a kid, I used to work for Mortal Kombat website. That was my first writing gig was working for this Mortal Kombat website. It was called The Mortal Kombat Netherrealm, Rest in Peace. This is like 99, 2000, 2001, right around this period, and I love Mortal Kombat, and I know a lot about Mortal Kombat, and I've already got some context based on the book, and I know all about Midway, and uh, I could speak on that. I'm not sure I could necessarily you know, finagle all the, con- the context to get it in place for the interviews and the access that I would need, uh, but man, I would kill to do Mortal Kombat. I would love to do Mortal Kombat someday, so... Um, I mean, yeah, that that would be a huge one. There's a couple of other ideas I've had in mind, but, um, yeah, just right off the bat, Mortal Kombat immediately comes to mind as something I would love to do.
0: That sounds fucking awesome. Couldn't have picked a better game.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing, too, about Mortal Kombat is that I was thinking of, like, you know, what I like about NBA Jam is that I can go basically from the beginning of video games up until now. I mean, I start off by actually go way back, way further back than NBA Jam. I start off by talking a little bit about Pong because it's connected to the NBA Jam story too, and then I end with close to present day. Um, So I really like the idea of like how epic it could be, you know, just going that whole time period. And with Mortal Kombat, you've got something that's been there since 1992, and they're releasing a new game next month. So there's so much material over there, so many great stories. And I would really love to be able to tell something cumulatively about Mortal Kombat. It's like, you know, the whole story from from beginning to end, or at least whatever end it would be when the book would come out, of like, you know, here's what Mortal Kombat was, and what it meant, and some of the things that happened, and what happened between Boone and Tobias, and you know, them splitting up, and then trying to get the interview of like how they perceive the violence and that whole controversy, and then of course, Midway going under and becoming part of Warner Brothers. So, so much of that stuff would be contingent on access, but man, I would kill to do Mortal Kombat. I would, I would do, um, whose fatality would I do to do Mortal Kombat? I'd do Quan Chi's fatality for Mortal Kombat 4. Which is the one where he rips out your leg and beats you over the head with it. Oh, yeah. I, would rip out, I would rip out somebody's leg and beat them over the head with it if I could get to do a Mortal Kombat book.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, it, yeah. We'd be on board. Mortal Kombat. We'd, Excellent. Oh my God. We fucking love that game.
1: Excellent. Uh, it's such a good game. It's such a good game. And there's so much to talk about.
0: Okay. But, hey, wait. I got a question. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you're playing NBA Jam. Mm-hmm. Who. Uh, Who's your team?
1: Who are you taking? Oh, man. I mean, if. Wait, how many times do I get to play NBA Jam? Do I get to play like one game and that's it?
0: No, best two out of
1: three. Ooh, best two out of three. Okay. First one, I'm definitely going with Stockton Malone. You got to go with the classics. Um, they were actually a real a crucial part of the early NBA Jam story. I mean, when the game was being uh, developed, the, uh, like, the developers were watching people play this game and John Stockton would be able to dunk like everybody else. And then somebody on the team pointed out, this is completely unrealistic. John Stockton needs to be an assist guy. And then they ended up tweaking the code later on. Um, so, like, they're so crucial to the story, plus they're great characters in the game. So John Stockton, Carl Malone. Then second choice would be, um, even though they're in tournament edition, I'd go with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. If I had to go with the original NBA Jam, I'd probably go with uh, Sean Kemp, and I think it's... Um, Gosh, I forget who his partner is. It's, I think it's something Benjamin. Um, I'd probably go with him. Oh, actually, you know what? If I want... You no, know, come to think of it since uh, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton are in Tournament Edition, I think I'd go with uh, Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson, who are representing the Hornets in NBA Jam. That is a classic combo. Plus, you get the early 90s, like that that kind of teal oh, Hornet yeah. stuff. I love that stuff. I eat that up.
0: Yeah, that's the. I think that's probably my favorite thing about NBA Jam is the... You just go through, there's just legends, legend after legend on each team. Like, like I don't know if it's Tournament Edition or the original, but I even like playing as uh, like Scotty Skiles when he was on the Magic, you know, the three-point
1: yeah, shooter. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think he was in Tournament Edition, but I know what you're talking about. Um yeah, no. There's so many legends. I, gosh, I have the I had a list somewhere of how many different uh, members of the dream team, or rather, um, I think it was like NBA MVPs or Hall of Famers or something like that that were in the game, and it was a huge number. I mean, you've got the vast majority of the dream team that are in there, and of course, basketball was huge at that time, so that's a perfect tie-in. Um, no, there was all kinds of. There's NBA Jam is just like overflowing with people. Like I sometimes forget that. Okay, so and so is in there. Um yeah there's I mean pretty much you can't go wrong unless you pick the bucks which is blue edwards and brad lowhouse i think it is <laughs> they're not a great team um and then the wizards i think they had man i forget who the wizards had i think tom gugliato was there i forget who the other guy was that
0: sounds right um,
1: yeah it was somebody else but anyways i i saw this debate online like who's got the worst nba jam team the bucks or the or the uh, bullets i'm sorry not the wizards the bullets yeah and um, so it would be between those two in terms of, like, the low tier. But otherwise, I mean, you can't go wrong. You've got all these people. Like, you know, you've got the Bulls with Scottie Pippen on there, which is fantastic. You've got the Heat with Glenn Rice. I mean, Charles Barkley and Dan Marley. You can go up and down the roster, and you really can't find a bad team.
0: Okay. Uh, I have I have one more question. Uh, Dylan's throwing his hands up because he wants to ask. But I've got one
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: that I've been dying to know. I don't know if this was just like a playground rumor or what. People used to say that one of the developers, maybe the creator of the game, thought or was a big Detroit Pistons fan.
1: Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. And did you hear the part about the Bulls? Were they involved? There That's
0: where I was going with this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Is it true that the Bulls cannot hit a game-winning shot or a buzzer beater?
1: Yeah, yeah. So just to give you some context, so Mark Tremel, the creator of NBA Jam. So by creator, I mean, like, you know, of course there was a team that developed it, but he was the person who really came up with the idea, and he was the lead designer on the game, and he's the, the person who's responsible for NFL Blitz. Um, you know, he's really at the top of the tier in terms of uh, midway sports development, him and Sal DeVita. Uh, but Mark Tremel was from Michigan, and he loved the, the Pistons. I mean, he grew up loving the Pistons. He wasn't from Detroit itself. Um, but he loved the Pistons, and then when he got to Midway in the late '80s, of course, that's when the Pistons were still just killing it. I mean, they had you had Isaiah Thomas, you had Bill Langbeer, um, the whole bad boys crew. Yeah, so there was this uh, rivalry that the uh, that Mark Tremble would have with these Midway guys. Keep in mind, Midways in Chicago. So Mark Tremble would go around the hallway, and he would be in some kind of uh, some Pistons uh, swag, like a shirt or a hat. And he would say, bad boys. And he would taunt them. And then all these Midway guys who were hardcore Bulls fans just could not, just hated it. So, and then of course, the 80s end, and then Michael Jordan really starts, you know, peaking. So, you know, so we've got the Bulls being really good in real life, and then Mark Trammell making this NBA Jam game. And Mark Trammell said, well, You know, I love the Bulls so much, or rather, I love the Pistons so much, I still want them to be really good, and it makes me sick to think the Bulls are going to win in my game. So, he tweaked the code so that in the last quarter, if you're playing the Bulls versus the Pistons, the shot percentages go way down for the Bulls, especially Scottie Pippen. Like, it just goes (laughs) terrible. It's like the opposite of real life, like the anti-clutch. So basically rigging the game so the Pistons could win. So I'm sure if you really wanted to, you could get the Bulls to win if you know you know what you're doing. But he very much tweaked the code, and it was very much a real thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I did it. And he also did it for NFL Blitz. He did it with the Detroit Lions. So not in terms of Detroit Lions versus a specific team, just Detroit Lions overall. But, oh, Termel absolutely jacked up the stats and played with it. <laughs> but he did other stuff like that too. I mean, he would do all kinds of little things over here that you'd be like, man, that's a little – that's a little sneaky. I mean, it's not shady in the way that it's hurting anybody, but that's a little sneaky. Oh, he absolutely did that. And so, no, he loves that story, and, I mean, he still loves the Pistons too. And, of course, everybody who is uh, a Bulls fan on uh, at Midway playing this game was not very happy with with stuff like this, but Tremel didn't care. I mean, he was from Michigan. He had his loyalty. I love
0: it. That's funny. Yeah. That's fucking sweet. Okay. Yeah, no, it's
1: amazing, man. It's it's amazing thing about these developers like hanging out and like Mark Two walking with his hat or his, his bad boys jersey or his Pistons jersey, and then everybody else getting really upset, and then him knowing that he control them this way. So, how long did it take you to write this book, and when is it going to come out? When's the release date? Yeah, so I don't have the release date confirmed yet. Looking at probably at, uh, let's say. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm saying keeping it as soon to be vague, but I can probably say around June is uh, June, July, somewhere around there is where I'm really hoping for. Um, how long have I been working on it since 2015, like summer 2015? Uh, of course, all kinds of life stuff has, has happened since then. I mean, it's and it's I've gotten so much more material since then. But yeah, I think. Four years. So it'll probably be about like four years by the time it all actually comes out. So don't have the release date soon. As soon as I have that, I'll throw it on the Twitter. But it's definitely coming soon, and this is definitely a thing that's happening. It's not like we talk about it and this is never happening. This is absolutely materializing, but we're close. We're not there yet. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I remember listening to that podcast, and you mentioned that you had to have a day job basically to uh, mm-hmm. also go to. What do, what do you do uh, – I'm sorry if this is kind of rude or anything, but what do you what do you actually do
1: No of course no, no, no it's actually it's it's fun to talk about the contrast because I've actually got a really good story about this uh, I work in digital marketing. So uh, what I do is I work on with, uh, with insurance websites so that if you're an insurance uh, agency uh, and you're building a website, I'll work with you on that. So I work on, on the customer service side of things. And I used to freelance full-time, but, of course, that's a, that's a grind um, just in terms of you know, all the pace you have to keep up with, and the pay is definitely not there. So when I want to, go, want to go back to writing a second time uh, in terms of making my career, I want to make sure I've got some kind of base or I can do something big with it. But, yeah, no, I work with digital marketing. And my funny story is tied into Shaq. So, I, you know, I, work, I talk to these insurance agents, all right, and I've been trying to get Shaq. And I know, like, look, whenever I get Shaq, I'm going to go, you know, take some time to talk to Shaq. I mean, it's Shaq. I would spent like four or five, six months pursuing him at this point. And then, um, you know, I'm really trying to get him. And I think there's maybe this one day I could get him. But I had a call scheduled with this insurance agency, and um, then I hear from his agent that says – and she says something like Shaq's ready to go to speak like 15 minutes or half hour, whatever it is. Then I'm thinking like, uh, okay. And then I go and I reschedule this interview or my whatever my appointment is with this insurance agency to go talk to Shaq. I mean like I feel like he wouldn't – if he knew the circumstances, he wouldn't be too upset, but I had to do it anyways. So I did that. And then, um, you know, I waited in this huddle room uh, at my work for Shaq to call, and I waited for him to call, and he didn't call. And then I just texted, um, you know, his agent. I was like, hey, I haven't heard anything from him. And then she's like, okay, let me check. And then, boom, I get a call from him. And it's Shaq, and he's backing out of his driveway, and he's in Florida. So I hear, like, I'm talking to Shaq from my office in Columbus, Ohio, basically, you know, just taking a little bit of time out of the day in this huddle room, talking to Shaq who's backing out of his driveway in Florida. And we talked for like 15, 20 minutes. And then I remember when I left this, this, this uh, little room at work, you know, I talked to my coworkers and like, did you really talk to him? And I was like, yeah. You're like, you want to listen to it? They're like, yeah. And I play them some and they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. So they were, their minds were just blown. So I definitely live a double life in that way. My coworkers absolutely know all about this and they've been incredibly supportive. Um, so it's been, it's been really interesting. I mean, I would like go down at like 9 in the morning like or 9.30. I'd be like, okay, let me take some time. I'll go down there and I'll sit in my car and I talk to DJ Jazzy Jeff or I go into this little room and I talk to Shaq. I've actually done a lot of interviews in those rooms at work um, whenever I had to in the event that I couldn't do it after after hours. God, that is impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fun, man. It's, it's so fun. It's such a, like, a weird thing because like, when somebody will come in my office, I'll be like, that's the room I talked to Shaq in. And it sounds... Completely absurd, and then I tell them the story, and they get to hear, it, and like, oh wow, okay, this guy's like not totally BSing me. This is definitely this is a real thing. But yeah, man, no, Um I was lucky enough that I was able to do it when I could. But it was I was even lucky that Shaq called me that day because I was thinking like, maybe it's gonna happen, maybe it isn't. And then when he did, I was like, oh, finally, I got Shaq.
0: Oh my god, I couldn't even imagine Shaq calling me. That's intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: would, yeah. I would be so jittery.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh my
1: god. Yeah. Uh, I- 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 I talked to a bunch of famous people, but that was one of the times I was most nervous. Um, I talked to, I interviewed Kesha once, who was super cool. Kesha was like, was really good to me. I mean, you know, when you talk to people who have, you know, people can pretty much say, I want to talk to you or I don't want to talk to you. They could do anything they want to with the interview. And I only had something like 10 minutes booked with Kesha. But man, Kesha was on that day. She was amazing. So shout out to Kesha. And I talked to Mike Tyson once. Um, I was nervous about that one. Um, but I've talked to some of these celebrities before, but when I talked to Shaq, I was definitely like, okay, this is important because I can't screw this up. I mean, Shaq is a centerpiece of this um, in terms of being able to talk about this book and being able to say I talked to Shaq for it. So, yeah, he calls me up and he goes, hello. And um, I was like, yeah, hey, man, how are you doing? And I explained the book to him and whatnot. And then I thought like, okay, you know, this could go one of two ways. You know, He could be really into the material and want to talk about it or it could be one of those things where mm-hmm. his agent was like, hey, do this thing for, for me, like talk to this guy. And Shaq was such a decent guy about it. Man, I know that Shaq has like kind of got a gruff demeanor at times. You know, he's got that gruff voice, uh, but he was so decent. And he talked to me for a while. We talked for 15, 20 minutes. We talked about Shaq Fu. We talked about Mortal Kombat. Um, he had this one really interesting uh, take on video games nowadays. Um, that was like that was very uh, cool to hear. And yeah, he was such a decent guy. And I, he didn't. Even, he wasn't even like, okay, we need to wrap this up. I gotta go. I just ended up. Um, you know, cutting it off of my allotted time, and man, it was just the coolest thing talking to Shaq, and then talking to Shaq about uh, Mike Tyson's punch out, or talking to him about Mortal Kombat in my huddle room at work. I mean, like, what is my life? What is this world?
0: No kidding, that's amazing. Yeah, man, <laughs> that's great. All right, you got anything else? No, I, I think that'll be all. Okay, I, I real quick, Ryan I wanted you to uh, uh, plug your Twitter, man. That's that's how I found you. Um, saw that you were doing the book you post some funny fucking shit
1: man i appreciate it thank you yeah so it's twitter dot com slash nba jam book i post stuff all the time i started out just posting nba jam things then expanded to nba jam in midway and then a little bit of mortal combat then it was just nba jam mortal Kombat, and then i expanded more into uh 90s video games and then trying to get into stuff that would really uh, appeal to the same kind of audience that liked nba jam so i post stuff from uh, tons of old arcade games, a lot of stuff you've probably forgotten about. Uh, old sports games from the era. I do a ton of fighting games um, because I feel like NBA Jam in some ways is like a fighting game as a sports game. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I find old commercials, arcade flyers, uh, weird bits of trivia, especially NBA Jam. I mean, when it comes to NBA Jam, I guarantee you, you will learn something. Follow me for like thirty days. I hundred percent guarantee you will learn something about NBA Jam. Um, or at least hear a story you've never heard before. Um, all kinds of different things. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's been great. I, uh, I, It's really taken off. I mean, I thought I was just going to do it like, okay, let's see what happens with this, and it's really got a life of its own. Um, and, yeah, I would absolutely love to hear from people who, like, in terms of like what kind of stuff they want to see from the 90s or what kind of ads I could dig up or what kind of weird interviews. I post stuff from British uh, gaming TV shows um, all kinds of weird things. Um, but, yeah, so, of course, like, the focus is in the end, Midway and NBA Jam. But, of course, but I do a lot of Mortal Kombat stuff, a lot of arcade stuff. And um, it's, a, it's so much fun. I do, I've been doing a lot of Capcom stuff lately. Um, going back and finding these hidden gems from trade shows and things that are buried in videos on YouTube... And then sharing them, it's been it's been a blast. It's been so much fun to talk to about uh, talk to people about it. Be like, look at this, look at this crazy thing I found. Look how cool this is. So yeah, twitter.com, is just com me NBA Jam book. And then when the book actually has a release date, that's where I'm going to announce it first. Um, and well, you know, we'll, there'll be so much more to come about the book from there. I actually, in fact, I just ran a new excerpt uh, about uh, the, about March fourth, nine ninety four, which was the day that NBA Jam came out on home consoles. So that day just passed. It was Monday. So it was 25 years to the day that NBA Jam came out on home consoles. So I did an excerpt uh, from a chapter of the book that's about that launch. So I talk about where the acclaims uh, marketing director's head was when this was happening, You know what happened with the ad, Um, really looking at acclaim side of things because they were crucial in NBA Jam's history too. So yeah, you go on there. Uh, There's an excerpt at the top that's the prologue, that's the opening chapter from the book all about the very first night that anybody played NBA Jam in Chicago. I take you right in there, uh, in that arcade. Dennis's place for games at 957 West Belmont, and um, get an idea of that, and then the excerpt is, if you click the replies, the excerpt should be at the very top, um, with a with new chapter in there, but yeah, tinyurl.com slash NBA Jam book if you want to see the synopsis or uh, pre-order it. Um, yeah, it's coming soon, it's definitely happening. Um, it was a lot of fun. All
0: right, brother. Yeah, come back on anytime. Make sure when you finish that book, send a copy to Gary Payton, and uh, maybe he'll let oh. you play that. Play that oh game. my god, if Gary
1: Payton does that? Yeah, man. If <laughs> okay. Okay, so good. Gary Payton playing NBA Jam with Michael Jordan on it, I can pretty much call it quits on anything else I do after that. Like that's when that's like that's peaking. That's I mean, when when you know you've bad. made it exactly exactly yeah you know forget about the copies of the book like hang out with gary payton in front of his nba jam cabinet that would be it but we'll see about that one all right brother take it easy all right all right man thank you so much okay you too take care
2: Bye-bye. thank you